pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, open up our hearts to receive your word for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Ware, I had you start heading up here. Um, now, I feel like I don't really got to introduce who Dr. Ware is, because if you've been in Indianapolis, you probably heard his name, even if you didn't know it was him. Um, I told him earlier, I was like, Dr. Ware, definitely, this is my big homie. Like, <laughs> that means I'm old. <laughs> but, but for real, like, I think about some of the influences that I've had in my faith, and that's blessed me in so many different ways. And even when you think about diversity, sometimes we miss just how much there's a gap between the generations that exists. Older and younger people, we got this chasm in there. It's like, nah, nah, you in this generation, I'm in this generation. And a lot of times we're not even unified when it comes to generations. Now, here's why Dr. Ware has probably been one of my favorite people um, just to pour into this next generation. Sometimes, me being a millennial, you know, we got our ways. I didn't feel like one of the previous generations in the past done a real good job of passing the baton without gatekeeping and saying, no, 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 not until you get a certain amount of gray hairs in your head. You stay in your lane over here, which biblically, you know, Paul says, Timothy, don't let them discount you for your youth. But also on the opposite side, because of that, a lot of younger generation people, my age and even younger, they don't take and heed the wisdom from the generations that's been doing this way before us. So Paul says, treat older men like you would a father. And here's one of the things that's been super encouraging to me about Dr. Ware. Dr. Ware probably has more accolades and books and talks and accomplishments. Like, by no means does he have to flex, and he could just by reputation alone. But you never get that. I never got that. Even in conversations, I know he got way more years of wisdom and experience, but the way he approached me was like, hey, you got the same spirit of God that I do, so what is God saying to you? So much so, that's why I went to Crossroads Bible College, where I graduated from, a school that he helped just lead for several years and bless a lot of ministers that's here in Indianapolis, but across the U.S., and not only that, you've written several books and even now still helping when the, in the educational world. And you're going to tell a little bit about Grace Relations. So if y'all could just give a hand applause for Dr. Ware and just a blessing that God has been in his life. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. Grateful for you, brother. And thank you for blessing us with the word. Amen. I'll give it over to you. Thank you, Jeff. It is an honor to be here. And um, when Jeff asked me to come, I... I had to actually switch my schedule around, cancel somebody else to put this on my schedule. And, uh, but I always say my claim to fame is the students we train. Now, he made me proud until he said he cooks, and he said he cooks peanut butter and jelly. Now, that shows how education didn't bring him up to what cooking is. But, uh, but now, praise God, delighted to be here uh, with you today and um, excited about this church and and Jeff and God's hand upon his life and many of you I know here uh, from times past and um, I would say that song was touching to me uh, back shortly after I got saved in um, March of 1968 I heard a message on Romans 12 1 and 2 I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice holy unto God which is your reasonable service and stop being conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I did that. I did that at 18, and that's the way I've been living ever since. That I am a living sacrifice, not my will, but God's be done. And, um, 
as was said, you get Fred will say, what does this mean, God? You're going to ask me to do something I don't want to do? Well, in my case, he did ask me to do some things I, I didn't want to do. In fact, I got saved in 1968, wound up in a <clears throat> Bible college that was probably about 98% white. I call it the light of hue. Um, there was one, one girl, one lady there from the dark of hue, but she graduated a year after I came. So I had, oh, well, that's, let me take that back now. I had a few Jamaicans, but you know, that's immigrants, so we didn't. But anyway, I was there to hold that whole thing down. And uh, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated, Robert Kennedy assassinated. There's race stuff going on all over the country. I got involved in an inner city church in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And then uh, I told God, with all that stuff going on, I said, now, number one, don't ask me to get married because I'll let some of these people talk crazy to me, but if I got a family, they might get the old nature, you know what I mean? <laughs> the old, old man might, bump, bite, might jump back out. And I said, and if you ask me to get married, don't you ask me to marry a white woman. Well, God didn't take my advice. He, <laughs> he hasn't for most of my life. So when you say be the bridge, I was a bridge for about um, 48 years. In fact, uh, this November 29th uh, will be the second anniversary of Sharon's uh, promotion in the glory. And this is the second year in a row that uh, our quadriplegic son is in the hospital. Last year, this time I was in Texas, had a speaking engagement, canceled that because Matt was in ICU and they were saying that um, he might not make it. So I came back for that. He's in ICU today. He's been there since Monday, and um, he, he wanted the streaming thing because he wants the streaming. He critiques my sermon, so anyway. But anyway, but I'm delighted to be here, and what I want to try to do today is we're going to go through some introduction stuff real quickly, and then I want to focus on that conversation, that necessary conversation. I like what you guys have on your website. The gospel changes everything, and then your mission. We exist to see the gospel of Jesus renew Indianapolis, our neighborhoods, network, and the nations. I love that. We focus on the gospel. So far, you've been singing that. That's been presented to you, and I'm, ex I'm excited about taking that a little farther. The next slide <clears throat> that uh, I have up, up here is just a concept that I am what I am by the grace of God. I believe that with my whole heart. And um, then the next one is grace relations. Grace, I like to talk about grace rather than race relations because grace is an acronym, God's reconciliation at Christ's expense. If you are saved, you're not trying to create reconciliation. You have been reconciled. You're trying to live it out. And it didn't come cheaply. It cost God his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's paid the price. Everything's settled. You and I, if you're born again, we're one. And I like to keep that straight. I serve at the College of Biblical Studies. That next slide, College of Biblical Studies exists to glorify God by educating and equipping multi-ethnic Christian leaders to impact the world for Christ. We don't expect to be impacted by the world. We expect to impact the world. We are different, and we don't make any bones about that. The next slide talks a little bit about the College of Biblical Studies, our accreditation by secular and Christian organizations, and I have, pro have one program totally in Spanish. I think it's one of the only schools in the country. Very few schools in the country can say that they got complete programs in Spanish, but we are one of them. And uh, then uh, our student body is very diverse. These statistics are a little old, but what I got up here is 49% 
of 45% African-American, 29% Latino, 17% white, and the rest are other. But um, the, question, the thing that I like to tell the world, when they're lecturing everybody, don't try to lecture me on diversity because most of the things in the world are not diverse, okay? They're trying to get there. We've got a college that we meant we showed at. And my next slide is our resources. And uh, you can get a dream six sessions of dream teachings I did at Answers in Genesis. Um, I think I did it at the Ark. But anyway, it's six videos, half an hour. You can get a hold of those if you want. Ferguson, how should the church respond? You can get that free too off our website. And that was written by Ken Davis, who's going to be with Lord now too. He was white brother. He and I worked on a lot of stuff together. We created the course, Culturation Church, together. And that you can get a hold of. The next slide talks about the power of seeds. And uh, I'll just say this about, about this. Here's what you're dealing with. This is why you got church. Ideas are like seeds. They're small, but they produce a pretty big thing. And you get the wrong worldview. You can tear everything up. Three enemies we got as Christians. One is the world. The world has its own philosophy. The other one is the devil. The devil is a liar. He's a deceiver. He's a divider. He's good at what he does. And the third one is you and I, my, our own fleshy desires. Those fight against the word of God. And you and I have to be aware of that. And so I talked about this book that I wrote here, the next slide. One, one, one Race, One Blood. I wrote that with Ken Ham, the founder of uh, Answers in Genesis and the Creation Art uh, Museum. And uh, this book... I put in there that the political, I mean, I wrote this thing, well, I don't forgot when I wrote this thing, this thing's getting old, but I said back then, the political, cultural, and racial, ethnic polarization within the U.S. and much of the world has deepened distrust, anger, hatred, fear, and division. Sadly, the church often fractures along similar lines as the world. It's even worse now. We got Hamas and Israel. We got Ukraine. We got in our Congress of the United States, two congressmen talking about time up fighting one another. We're split there. We're split racially. We got economic problems. We got people killing one another. We got everything going on. It's a mess out here. And, and you and I need to understand that the world doesn't have the answer. We've got the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. But I believe that. But then the next slide, I raise this question. If the gospel's the answer, why is the church so segregated? That's a question that we have to answer, and I think that's what you're trying to do by showing something different. The next one was a book I wrote, Prejudice and the People of God. That's the first book I wrote. I, won't, I, I tell people I got two versions of every sermon I preach. One is a white version. One is a black version, depending on what how much time you get, <laughs> give me, that's what version you get. You're getting the white version, okay? We're rolling on, we're rolling on. All right, that's it. You, you're multi-ethnic, but time-wise, you, you, you got a little problem. Say, all right. But anyway, um, but, but, but um, people are, Christians are looking for this answers. What about this race issue? And we want to get into that. When I use um, the next slide there again, uh, race relations, the next one's about a trip I took to Bermuda. Just a quick thing on that one. When Sharon passed, a friend in Bermuda said, hey, brother, our church will pay all expenses. Come to Bermuda, spend a week, don't have to preach, don't have to do anything, just come. I don't usually respond to those type of invitations, and I didn't. A year later, they had a hurricane uh, hit um, Bermuda, so I called to see how he was doing. He told me, I'm doing fine. By the way, that offer still stands. So September 2nd, my 
Family members told me, you need to go to Bermuda. People I was working with say, you need to go to Bermuda. I said, all of y'all want to get rid of me. Okay, I'm going to Bermuda. Forget y'all. But I was out there in Bermuda, and it was beautiful, beautiful water, beautiful trees, beautiful weather. But God spoke to me in a very definite way. He spoke to me about unbelief. He spoke to me about pride. He spoke to me about a lack of focus. And he spoke to me about getting the message of grace relations out. So I came back renewed, believing God and want to do what he wants me to do. And there's a, a donor who's put up money to, to put together a national strategy for grace relations. The goal is to make it a global ministry. But uh, as you look at the next slide here about what am I trying to do with grace relations, you've been singing about it and talking about it. It's great. The first thing that I'm interested in is what Jesus said. Make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. You and I can go through diversity training and come out a not a disciple, all right? When, when, when a Christian goes through something, they want to go through discipleship. They want to be more like Jesus when you come out. You don't want to be more like the world. You don't need laws to make you do something. You need the love of God to make you do something. You realize you've been saved by the grace of God. You don't deserve it, but you've you got the Spirit of God in you. The world doesn't have the Spirit of God. You're submitted to the Word of God. They're not submitted to the Word of God. You, you have the people of God, the church. You have this, you, all this you and I have, and we put it all down trying to help let the world tell us how to do this thing. We need disciples above anything else. People who met Jesus in a real way, been transformed by him, and therefore you love other people because God put it in your heart. I don't need no law to tell me what to do. I need the love of Christ to tell me what to do. And that's what I want, disciples, disciples. We want, we want to see the Lord make true disciples. Jesus said there's no greater commandment then that you love God and love your neighbor. And you know you love God because you keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome unto you. So we want disciples. We want discipleship. That's what this church is all about. That's what it's about. The second thing I'm getting in is edification. That's encouragement. Do you realize how discouraged we are in this country? Even as Christians? Even when people talk about being part of this program, Be the Bridge, we're scared half to death. I mean, we got people of the light of hue. They're scared to talk. I don't know what to say. I mean, I don't know what if I say that, you think I'm a racist. If I say that, you think I'm a racist. I don't know. I said, forget it. If you don't say anything, we'll say you're racist. So figure out what God wants you to say and say it. And let God handle that. And we need us and us conversations. Some black people, they run around. I'm so, I'm so tired. I'm trying to get these white people to see me way in, and they don't see it. Man, don't get wore out. I'm not waiting on some white people to come up, some white person to come up to me. Oh, I'm so sorry what you went through. You don't even know what I went through. All black people didn't go through the same thing. And I ain't got no, I ain't, no, you just got out to make you sorry, crocodile tears anyway, so I'm not, I'm not, I'm not up on that, okay? So I don't care if you do or not. If you're sorry, you're sorry. If you're not, you're not. I don't care. Because Jesus said, I'm all right, baby. I'm good in my skin, okay? <laughs> I had a white woman ask me once, do you ever wish you were white? I said, for what? You get that suntan lotion, go down there and get in the sun so you can look like me, baby. I'm the model. Don't be telling me. I'm good in my skin. So, so, so we need as Christians to be able to have these us and us conversations trying to figure out where sin is, get it out, that we might do the third thing down here. That's a manifestation, identification as Christians. 
by loving relationship. By this, sir, all men know that you're my disciples, and that you have love one for another. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to be, and we can be that together for God's glory. Then the third thing, the fourth thing down here, I said evangelization. I said I want to depopulate hell. Now, for you this theologians, you you can't depopulate hell. I don't plan on going there and trying, but I do plan on I do plan on stopping the traffic going that way. Okay, with the gospel, I want to see some people get saved. And you can have your stomach full and your head full with nonsense and still go to hell, all right? I want people saved by the grace of God. That's why you say the gospel changes everything. And then the last one, we just want to glorify God. Next one is the booklet that I wrote with Ken Ham. I mean, I, can't, I got so many Kens in my life. That was Ken Davis. Forget it. But anyway, I'm, I'm going on my, my white version. So the, 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 the three things of grace relations, our process is respectful us and us conversations, loving collaborations, then that leads to personal and community change. It comes in time. Uh, next one is outline of the book, but I want to get, forget that and get down to a necessary conversation, get down to the text today in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, the purpose of the book of John, according to John, is in John 20, 30, and 31. It says, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the most important message on planet Earth. The government ain't going to preach that message. Secular education ain't going to preach that message. Secular businesses are not going to preach that message. You and I, have the answer. The biggest problem in the world today is sin. It has a 100% death rate. And those who die without Christ spend an eternity in hell. That's what we're here for, to get that message out. That is critical. And so, I want to read something that uh, Warren Worsby wrote about this chapter and then we're going to work just got time to make some few observations from this text but Warren Worsby says because the Pharisees was trying to incite competition between Jesus and John the Baptist Jesus left Judea and started north for Galilee he could have, take, he could have taken one of three possible routes along the coast across the Jordan or up through Perea or straight through Samaria Orthodox Jews avoided Samaria because there was a long-standing, deep-seated hatred between them and the Samaritans. The Samaritans were a mixed race, part Jew and part Gentile, that grew out of the Assyrian captivity of the 10 northern tribes in 722 B.C., Rejected by the Jews because they could not prove their genealogy, the Samaritans established their own temple and religious services in Mount Gerasim. This only fanned the fires of prejudice. So intense was their dislike of the Samaritans that some of the Pharisees prayed that no Samaritan would be raised in the resurrection. When his enemies wanted to call Jesus an insulting name, they called him a Samaritan. Because he was on a divinely appointed schedule, it was necessary that Jesus go through Samaria. Why? 
because he would meet a woman there and lead her into saving faith, the kind of true faith that would affect an entire village. Our Lord was no respect of persons. Earlier, he counseled a moral Jew, Jewish man. That's just uh, in John chapter 3, Zacchaeus. And now he would witness to an immoral woman, Samaritan woman. The text says, John chapter 4, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, by that's, that's our world, by the way, who's got the biggest following. They need to get all mad about that. Verse 2 says, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. In verse 3, it says, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat uh, thus by the well. It was about six o'clock, six hours. Now, here's the deal. Jesus said he must go through the... Now, if you're looking at a map, you say, well, hey, that doesn't take any sense. I mean, there are different ways. Samaria, from where he was to go to Samaria, was straight down, straight road. Jews go around because they didn't want to have any contact with Samaritans. But the scripture says he must needs go through Samaria. Well, why did he need to go through Samaria? Because they're cooking some type of food the Jews didn't eat. No, no, no. He would need to go through Samaria because of the gospel. If you and I are saved, there are places we need to go, not because people look like us, not because we think they're going to accept us, not because we're going to feel good, the food's going to be right, the music's going to be right. It's my kind of people. I got to go through there. No. He had to go through there because these, this woman needed Jesus. These people needed Jesus. They needed eternal life. And so it's a divine path. So he goes through and he gets to the field. He, he's, He's tired. Now, here, here's what I call a focused conversation, verses 7 through 26. This is a focused conversation. First of all, I want you to note in this focused conversation that he focused on the deepest need that this woman had. The Bible says in verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. You know, if you read the Bible, a lot of times God appeals to natural needs to get people's attention. Jesus kind of comes, he, he, I mean, he could have he said, hey, hey, listen, woman, you're a Samaritan. You know we don't think you're any good. But by the way, give me some water so I can get out of your way. No, he, he, he asked her to do something that she could do that was meeting a need that she had. She'd come to the well to draw water because she just thirsty. She's hungry. And so he treated her with respect, first of all. And he asked her, okay, hey, can, 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 can you give me some, some water? Now, notice what, let's notice this. Verse 8 says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Sometime to have a focused conversation, some people need to be absent. And you're going to see this clip more clearly when I get a little farther down in the text. You send them to buy some food because I got to talk to this woman. They're going to mess it up. <laughs> so, so they're off buying food. So anyway, he, he, he raised, he's treating her with respect. And, and then here's how, here's how she responds. It says down here in the, uh, when I got focused, this, this conversation is a focused conversation. 
Focus on the deepest need, then focus. It avoided the racial division ditch. Look at her response, verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the, with the Samaritans. That's putting race up front. Like, what are you doing in my neighborhood? Who sent you over here? What are you going to do? I mean, I hear this all the time. We own this neighborhood. Well, you ain't getting people saved anyway. So somebody else can come. It won't hurt you. If they're going to heaven, they're going to heaven, right? But this woman, she, she gets right into it. Look, at you, 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 you don't, we don't have any dealings. You come asking me for what? You lost your mind? You don't do that. Now notice, Jesus, he didn't even get into this. He, 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 he didn't follow her trap. Verse 10, so Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I can see several things with this. I mean, Jesus is keeping the real thing the real thing. Here's your greatest need, woman. You thirst. And I ask you for water, but I got water you drink. You don't have to draw it anymore. It's interesting to me, a lot of our racial discussions never get to the real question. Do you realize you could be diverse and still go to hell? Jesus pushing the real question here. Listen, I've got something that you want. It's better than money. It's better than, than, than this or that or anything. Drugs, alcohol, sex, privilege, power. I got something, woman. I'm asking you, but I'm telling you, I got something you need. With the God that our conversations were so focused. He got her attention, though. Verse 11 said, the woman said to him, sir, <laughs> you done lost your mind. Now, this well is deep. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? She's keeping this thing going. Verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That's what people need. That's the greatest need. I understand. They might need food. They might need this. They might need that. And I'm all for that. But a full person can go to hell. I want people to say, Jesus came, he died. That we might have life. And that we might have it more abundantly. And he's sharing with this lady her greatest thirst. And he's getting through to her. Because it says, the woman said in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come to draw. Somehow she saw the connection. You telling me you got something that I can't get in this natural film. She, she, she's there. And, and then this focus, he focused on her greatest need. You could say, oh, she's got it. She wants it. Yeah, give it to her, Jesus. 
But notice how he responds. It says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Say, what? Go call your husband. Tell him to come. She responds, well, now, this is getting juicy. <laughs> says, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. <laughs> Jesus said to her, you have well said you have no husband. Honey, I know what's going on. For you have had five husbands, and the one with whom you are, you are not with now is not your husband. Ooh. Keeping it real is getting down to sin. He's getting down to sin, and so this focused conversation, it goes on, because right now he focused, he avoided the religious diversity, pluralism, syncretism ditch. Because when her sin was exposed and, and she knew that he knew it, verse 19, it says, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I mean, something's wrong with this guy. <laughs> He's he calling me out. I perceive that you're a prophet. And it says, our fathers worship. Now, I should get in this religious thing. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. Jesus said, uh, um, Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You're, you worship what you don't know. We know what we worship for salvation of Jews. Now, that's cold. He didn't respect her religion because her religion couldn't save. We're living in a culture that wants us to respect everybody. You know, your truth, my truth, everybody's truth, whatever. I know Jesus didn't go there. He said, no. He says, um, you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvations of the Jews. Check Romans 3, 1 and 2, Romans 9, 4 and 5. The Jews had the prophets, the covenants, the law, and all that stuff. But he says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Wow. That's where we are. It's not this group or that group or that group. It's Jesus. It's getting saved, getting the Spirit of God to come in our lives and we're transformed and we have relationship with him. And everybody he saves regardless of their color or their background. He tells her, look at that. Look at this. This, this is where it's going to be. It's going to be this new form of worship. And um, the Spirit of God must have been working because verse 25 says, The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. That's where gospel conversations get to. Let's get to Jesus. He brought her there. One, we ain't talking about a well with water. We're talking about the Spirit of God coming to your life and change your life. And then the, then the last thing here, it's a gospel conversation that led to personal community change. Verse 27 says, and at this point, his disciples came 
and they marveled that he talked to a woman, yet one, yet no one said, what do you see? In other words, these dudes came back from buying food and said, well, was that Samaritan woman? Number one, it was disrespectful for a rabbi to speak to a woman at all. Number two, a Samaritan was unclean. Number three, she was a prostitute or something like that. So he, he missed it all. That's why he sent them, go get some food, okay? I got a conversation. You won't, you won't help this conversation, which is showed when they came back. Why are you talking with her? Verse 28 said, then the, the woman then left her water pot. I mean, oh, she came to get water. She left the water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, come and see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? couple of observations. She didn't say, come see a Jewish man. <laughs> come and see a man. He told me everything. He exposed my sins. And then notice, it says, then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know of. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone bought him food? I mean, this dude, I mean, we're hungry. We went there to get some food. And he coming back and he talking about he got food to eat that we don't know of. Unsaved people don't understand this message. Those of us who are saved, we understand it. He goes on to say, it goes on to say here, verse 34, Jesus said to them, my food, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. One of the things racism does is closes your eyes to people all around you. People who need Jesus, many of them are ready for Jesus. You can't see them because you're looking for people who look like you. Jesus said, take a look, guys. It's harvest field. Verse 36, and he who reaps receive wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another's reap. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And then I love this. Verse 39, and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did so that when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. That's monumental. You got 400 years of racism and bitterness and hatred and in one conversation. Won't you come stay with us? We want to hear what you got to say. That's incredible. And then it gets even more incredible. The Bible says in uh, verse 41, and many, more and many more believed because of his own words. Now notice this. It went from the word of the woman to his words. That's where every disciple's got to get to. Not believing others' story. But your story with Jesus. 
Verse 42 said, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ. Notice these next words. The Savior of the Samaritans? The Savior of the Jews? <laughs> the Savior of the world. That's where gospel conversations take you to. Personal community change. Basically, I tell people what I want to do when I meet people. I don't care what color you are, what nationality you are, anything. Since I'm a living sacrifice, my first question is, God, what do you want to say through me to this person? Period. I may have to point out their sin. Jeff. How much time I got? My time's out. But don't tell me that the Spirit leads me. Don't tell me. Uh, uh, let, let, let me try to get over a couple of things real quick here. I got, I got a video I want you to see. But here, 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 here's the thing. My wife and I, we're living in the D.C. area, married. This couple called us. It was a black man, white woman. They heard about us from somewhere. I don't know where she, they were in college. And they came, they wanted to meet with me. And so they started talking, and they, they wanted to talk about race. And, 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 and she was in college. She was basically ran away with him. But they were talking about her parents are racist, and, and, and their school was racist, and everybody was racist. But I'm, 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 in a, I'm in a racially marriage, so I understand. So I began to question them a little more and question them a little more. Long story short, this guy was abusive. He, he even went to this girl's job. They called the police for harassment. The police gave him the option. You can go to the mental health place or you can go to jail. He went to the mental health place, talked to them a little bit, watching a football game, then signed himself out. And his mother called me. And I'm driving over there. I'm on a one-way street. He's running this way. I'm driving this way. I'm backing up. He's running. He's got in his back pocket a knife. The kid was abusive. He didn't need to be talking about race issues. He needed to be talking about sin issues. And I told her, honey, you need to go back to your parents. And he needs to get his life right with God. So you and I got to be careful when we get in these conversations. Could be race, could not be race. We got to get down to what they really need. I want to go, let's go to that video of my son. Let me play, play that and let me wrap this thing up. I'm sure I'm over time. I don't know what time it is. But if you play that video of Matt's story, and I'll wrap it up. I can pretty much almost feed myself with a little arm support, elbow support. Two more minutes. Therapists are working with the 16-year-old who is paralyzed below the shoulders. Four months ago, Matt was running up and down the court for Heritage Christian, a promising basketball player for the Eagles varsity team. I always grew up with basketball. Everybody in the family pretty, pretty much plays basketball. But a freak accident changed his life forever. I had dove for the ball, and I saved it to my friend, and I hit the mat straight on with my head. His neck was broken, but his spirit wasn't. Matt remained positive despite a devastating accident. I'm doing things that the doctors never thought I'd be able to do. Matt's faith in God drives him in therapy. I've been more of a witness for God now than I was before in the past. And... um, So many people have been touched and things, which I never, you know, 
thought would happen. God has taken this weakness and shown his power in a very unique way. This is a special gift that Matt received from his friends at church and school. They traced their hands on this quilt and placed their names and Bible verses on it. Matt says it's that kind of support that helps push him. Go ahead and keep your elbow straight. Matt won't be playing basketball this summer. Does he miss it? There's a sense of me that does, yeah. But I figure if God wants me to play again, then I'm playing. The more immediate goal is relearning to write his name legibly. I thank God for what he's given me and what he's done in the past and everything he's going to do in the future, so. Yeah, that was really good. I'm going to give you a quick quiet play that when I'm talking on racial issues. Matt's adopted kid. He broke his neck in 1998. But when he broke his neck, I was on the West Coast. They got his mom. She got to the school. He was playing basketball, ran into a wall. He was on a stretcher. They were putting him on the ambulance. She ran there crying over her child, weeping. He's on his back. He looks up at her and says, Mom, pull yourself together. Remember God's in control. They took him away. A sports writer was there, so he was in the newspapers the next day, and he's he going through all this thing, but I was out on the West Coast, and I'm saying to God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just got a call from my wife. My son has broken his neck. I don't know. I'm going to take care of him. I'm going to have to leave the ministry. I got to get two or three jobs. I don't, I don't know what to do. And, and God on that plane took me back to Romans 12, 1 and 2. You gave me your life as a living sacrifice. Leave it there. I got this. We get back to Indianapolis, and I go to the hospital, get a newspaper. He's on the front page of the paper. Young athlete injured, but not his faith. A sports writer was on the scene when he got hurt, heard what he said. You know, he was on Indianapolis, uh, front page of Indianapolis uh, newspaper. He was in the news over and over and over again. And uh, then my church decided, and the school he went to, the college, they set up a trust fund for Matt Ware. The church on a Sunday night, they took up $167,000. I didn't care what color they were. All I wanted the money to be green. No, I mean, they just wanted to be spent. But anyway, they, 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 people were praying for us and, and giving to us. And, 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 and there were people with physical abilities, needs, and there were Latino. It went worldwide, actually. People praying for us all over the world. I didn't care what color they were just so that they could get through to God. That's all I was concerned about. And then a, a, a business guy put on a uh, 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 a dinner. They got another hundred and something. We ran up with three hundred and something thousand dollars for the Matt Ware Trust Fund. People gave us food. People gave us cars. People gave us built us a home at their cost. We went in debt free. I'm telling you, I play that story because I said sometimes it takes a crisis to bring the church together. But you say what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for God's people. I'm thankful that people are praying for Matt right now. I'll just give you this in closing. These last few days have been rough. I, I had a sermon I was supposed to preach last week. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Do prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Make your request known unto God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will keep your heart and your mind. And we took Matt in for one problem to today he's in ICU and they have not addressed that problem. 
other stuff keeps cropping up. And they said, this is a higher priority. This is a higher priority. And I'm praying. And I'm, trying, I'm saying, God, I was supposed to preach this sermon. I, and I'm, I'm crying. Time, time, and I put it out on Facebook. Pray specifically. Pray specifically for this. You know that people pray for it? Nah, you know, they might answer it. They might not answer But they didn't answer it, seemingly. And then something else comes up. And I said, God, I don't even know what to pray for. This is crazy. And then the devil hits me and says, all God wants you to do is put that stuff out there so that he won't answer that prayer and people will know you're a fool and a fraud. And I'm weeping and I'm crying. But then God gave me this, Romans 8, for we don't know what to pray for as we are. But the Spirit of God, he knows the mind of God and he interprets our prayers according to the will of the Father, and then we know that all things work together for those who love God, for those who call according to his purpose. I don't care whether you're red, yellow, black, or white, what language you speak, what ethnicity you come from, there is living water, and there is one church, one body. That is the body of Christ. God bless you. Amen, amen. If I can just get a couple of our elders, actually, to grab your arms around Dr. Weir, anybody who wants to. I'm going to pray us out. Lord God, you promise, because your son ascended to the throne, because he died for our sins and gave us access to the throne of God, that any time we ask according into your will, it is yes and amen in Christ. God, we pray for Dr. Ware and Matt and their family that you would be near to them right now. God, you're amazing. We know it. You've created us in your image. You can use doctors and people who work in the medical field to do some miraculous things. But even in that, we know that you are the ultimate physician. Pray you give wisdom to the doctors caring for Matt right now, but also that you will let his faith stay encouraged, as we just even heard in the video. God, all of us, all of our lives are meant to be a living sacrifice for the testament to the glory of God. And God, the beautiful part of this gospel that saved us from our sins now is also the promise that this is not the end. That in Revelation, the end of this book, you promise that there will be a time that's coming where there will be no more sickness. There'll be no more ICU rooms. There'll be no more bodies stricken with illnesses. But as we anticipate, just as sure as you promise to come and die for our sins, it's the same way you promise that one day you're making all things new. And my prayer for my brothers and sisters in this room and those around our city that we would, like Dr. Ware said, fight against the traffic going to hell so that people, though they may suffer now and though you can heal even now, that when they